0: Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to see you all. A lot more of you than I thought would come today. But <laughs> well, no, that's great. So, Lord, I just pray that this is, yeah, that you filter my words so that everything I say will come from you and, um, yeah, that it's all about you and not about me. Amen. So, um, I can't imagine that many people the Turner nominee artist Tracy Emin with the Apostle Paul (laughs) but last year Tracy talked publicly about the profound experience of having survived a particularly aggressive form of cancer after a long and drastic operation removing many of her internal organs and body parts she told an interviewer on Radio 4 I feel like I've been forgiven or I feel like a big, sort of, giant curse has been lifted off me. I feel genuinely happy, and I don't think I've ever been happy in my life before. So if you've had a choice, lose your bladder, lose this and lose that, and be happy, and you've never known what happiness is, what do you think you choose? I think i chose happiness, and that's what I've got, and I'm going to really make the most of it, especially with my work, no more messing around. And since then, she's gone on to do some more amazing exhibitions. I love these words. They communicate a survivor's joy so rawly. Through her loss, Tracy discovered something far greater. She went on to describe how her newfound happiness made her want to live forever. Sometimes it's only through a felt loss that we can know real joy. In the text today, Paul, to that truth amongst others as well as the secret to living forever. Something or someone more precisely that I hope maybe Tracy will encounter for herself if she hasn't already. Bear with me on this as I try to explain the unlikely similarities between these two. On the surface Paul was not an artist who had survived cancer nor was his former life one that could be compared to Tracy's reckless life of hedonism. I'm sure, however, he would have described himself as a survivor, as someone who had been saved from an illness similar to cancer, the illness of sin, and not only that, but as one who had found the key to eternal life. So let's go back a bit and just uh, have a look at the book of Romans try and work out what exactly was Paul on about. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a theologian and minister at the Westminster Chapel for over 30 years. He delivered a famous preaching series on Romans at, um, at the end of his preaching career. He wrote 366 sounds over 12 years on Romans, as he regarded it as the first in importance amongst the New Testament epistles. This is because he saw Rome as Paul's key letter explaining the significance and the meaning of the Gospel or the great doctrines of our faith. He understood that Paul's readers had uh, or, or the new church in Rome may have encountered the power of God at Pentecost by his Holy Spirit but they had not necessarily intellectually grasped the depth and the power of the Gospel message itself. Like Paul, he knew the Gospel had the power to fill people with joy unspeakable and full of glory and to allow them to be lost in wonder, love and praise. With that aim, let's have a brief look at these verses with open hearts and expectant minds, ready to receive the explosive truths of the Gospel anew. I've divided the talk into three points. They are the sickness of sin, a love that saves, and united with Christ. I hope you'll indulge me as I share a few more quotes from different artists and authors along the way. So my first point is the sickness of sin. Malcolm Muggeridge, the British journalist known for his searing prose or saying things as it it is, once wrote, the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality but at the same time, the most intellectually resisted fact. G.K. Chesterton, his peer and author, once famously penned a letter to the Times which read, Dear Sir, regarding your article, What's Wrong with the World? I am. Yours truly. Both of these Christian men understood the universal nature of sin. We are all sufferers. And so did Paul nearly 2,000 years earlier in his letter to Romans. In chapter 3, he said, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what does this word sin with all its old-fashioned connotations actually mean? What does it mean to fall short of the glory of God? The biblical interpretation of the word sin is anything in us which resists God's way it is any act or thought that puts our self our desires our felt needs before god and others by setting ourselves up against god we're also setting ourselves up against others in our postmodern secular world it's not surprising that most people don't take the concept of sin seriously not believing in god as our perfect creator and heavenly father or having him as our ultimate reference point for all of morality makes the sin of not acknowledging Him seem all the more irrelevant, laughable and old-fashioned. However, for those of us who have come to know Him, ignoring His will is extremely dangerous, both for us and His world. The longer we're Christians, the more we become aware, actually, of how short we have fallen short of the glory of God. But this is not in some kind of self-flagellation type of way, but more as we journey on in discovery of God's perfect heart of love for us. In falling short of his glory, we're not only letting God down, we're letting ourselves down. We were made for something so very much better, and going our own way can never take us there. Sin can be compared to an illness like cancer because it is voracious and never satisfies. And by its very nature it devours our true self which can only be found in Christ. Actually, we're incapable of finding ourselves without Christ. The Bible is clear about the prognosis. Left untreated, sin spreads and always results in death physical and more significantly spiritual, thus death becoming the ultimate reality that all humans face. In this passage, Paul delivers some explosive truths. Number one being that in believing in Jesus and receiving him as our saviour, we become like him in his death and have died with him. Far from being a death wish, this is actually the cure for our terminal condition. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Paul repeats this idea of us dying with Christ five times throughout the passage. So important it is to him that we fully understand what this means and what the implications are. God made us like Jesus in his death so that although we didn't have to suffer the agony of his death, our old sinful selves died in order to make us right with God and be united with him forever. We are to receive this truth in faith by the grace of God as a done deed. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He has died for us. This is a mind-blowing truth. The one that I know I need to come back to as much as I can. For properly grasped, it changes everything. If this is true, as Paul says in verse 2, we died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? It's as though our fallen DNA has been reconfigured to something new. Us being united with Jesus in his death is not just a nice metaphor or symbol, it is real. To use the words of John Piper, when Christ died, God counted the old sinful me as dying with him. Death no longer has the last word. And anyone who has died has been set free from sin. There is such liberating power in receiving this truth as it enables us to accept the fact that we are not trapped the sickness of sin, but we are given a clean bill of health. And to continue the analogy, the doctor has swapped our medical records with another whose love for us knows no end. This swap has nothing to do with us trying to get fit or get better or eat healthy, but everything to do with Jesus and what has already been done. Like Tracy Yemen, we're free to choose a new life with real joy. This is amazing news, especially for those of us who strive to be good enough or for those who perhaps think Christianity is all about being a good person. God has chosen to die for us in order to make us good enough in his eyes. In true gospel style, love wins. By God's grace. The choice then presents itself. Going to live? What or who are we going to live for? Notice what dignity God entrusts us in with by giving us this choice. Paul says, "Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him." Offer yourselves to God as though you have been brought from death to life. So my next point is a love that saves. To go back to Tracy Emin. She once talked about the promiscuity of her teenage years like this. It was fine and easy, nothing to do but think with my body. Like a bird, I thought I was free. I became a Christian at the age of 27, after a sort of Pauline Damascus Road conversion. I was lost and I met Jesus without looking for him. Like Tracy Emin, I thought I was free, but I'd found that I was trapped. It was during a church service at my atheist grandfather's memorial. I was overwhelmed by the most astounding experience of love I had ever known. I felt as though I was literally being wrapped up in a blanket, an enormous blanket of love, and someone was gently speaking to me, saying to me, it's okay, everything's going to be okay in the end. At that point, I hadn't properly heard the gospel message, nor did I realize my need for God's forgiveness. But God, in his grace, led me to that place about six months later. So after I'd prayed the sinner's prayer, I felt free. Free for the first time in my life. I had already experienced this foretaste of Jesus' presence by his Holy Spirit. I believed that he had died for me, so I prayed confidently to a God who I knew loved me wanted to save me from myself, for himself. Then slowly but surely, in his grace and mercy, Jesus pulled me out of a deep hole, a spiral of addictions and unhealthy coping patterns that had taken me into a deep well of shame, loneliness and brokenness. The cycle of sin had been broken. And as Paul said, the body ruled by sin could be done away with. I was free to serve a different master. One who knew me, loved me, and died for me. This truth is key for us all to dwell on today. Both for those of us who are perhaps not believers in Christ, maybe because we look at Christians and think, "Oh, they're not good enough to be Christians. And again, for those of us who are Christians, but will not allow ourselves just to dwell in his presence and goodness and forgiveness and be loved, beloved, be loved or because we're too busy trying to do good works to earn His love. The Gospel of Christ is not about earning our way to Him. It is finished. Religion is dead. And my last point, United with Christ. To quote Tracy one more time, she's also spoken about a deep longing for someone she doesn't know. She says, or she said, Have you ever longed for someone so much, so deeply, that you thought you would die? That your heart would just stop beating? I'm longing now, but for whom I don't know, my whole body craves to be held. I'm desperate to love and be loved. I want my mind to float into another's. I want to be set free from the despair by the love I feel for another. I want to be physically part of someone else, I want to be joined, I want to be open and free to explore every part of them, as so I were exploring myself. I've come to know this person as Jesus. I've been united with him both in death and in life. I'm joined to the one who made me, made me to be loved, loved me first and last and who gave and gives himself to me and wants to make me more like him for his glory. Lord, let me never tire of the incredible awesomeness of this truth. God knows I need to come back to it daily. The God of all creation, mighty to save, greater in power than our tiny minds can ever contemplate, unites us with himself by his Holy Spirit. In receiving him and accepting his love and forgiveness, we can all become a new creation. We get to take off those old clothes of shame and guilt and clothe ourselves in Christ. It's no longer about us, but about Him. We get to choose to receive a new identity. That is who God says, us, says we are, not who others have said, or who we believe, or we, who we believe um, ourselves to be. And the beautiful paradox at the heart of this, and take note of this, as according to G.K. Chesterton, a paradox is a truth standing on its head, waving its legs to get our attention. As a new creation in Christ, we become a more authentic version of ourselves than we could ever be. Again, let's come back to those same words from Paul. In fact, we haven't heard these words yet because I didn't say them earlier, but this is from Galatians and he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When Christ saved us, We died, died to self, died to sin, died to this world and have been raised to a new life in Christ. You cannot follow Jesus nor conform to his image whilst being governed by self. Self has no room within the Christian life. As Christians, we're called to imitate Christ daily, which means we must deny ourselves on a daily basis. There are countless scriptures that talk about this. Jesus himself said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The whole process of writing this sermon has been an interesting exercise for me, as it wasn't something I wanted to do. Right from the start, when Rob talked about asking me to do it, I tried to hide, to opening that WhatsApp message saying, I've penciled you in to preach in July. I didn't want to do it. I can't describe the mix of emotions and momentary, unpleasant feelings I had about Rob. (laughs) I didn't want to do it for many reasons, but probably mostly due to a deep-held belief that I was not good enough. Rob, in his gentleness and grace, persisted to encourage and reassure me. I was given these words, You are worthy. And twice in the wrestling and the preparation, I felt the Lord speak to me and say clearly, Remember whose daughter you are. So although nearly missing it two weeks ago due to self-isolation, here I am today, I choose to believe that I am worthy. Our walk with Christ requires daily rebooting and often sacrificial obedience. It's not about striving, but all about believing. He gives us strength in our weakness. And if we stay close to him and empty ourselves to serve him and put him and his kingdom first, he will work through us. We live under his grace, for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. So how about you today? Are you still striving to be good enough, and just not able to rest in his forgiveness and be loved, beloved? Do you struggle to accept grace and free gifts? Or are you fine thanks, but secretly terrified of coming to the end of yourself? Perhaps you're burning out trying to prove yourself to yourself and to the world. Or did you think that Christianity was only for people who had it all sorted and you hadn't heard it was actually for sick people? Let the scarred hands of Jesus lead you you to the cross and allow him to speak to you and minister to you in this. And let us finish today with the third step prayer from Alcoholics Anonymous. Lord, I offer myself to thee, to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may be witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen.